so one more time. What was that word from the speech? Fardel. Fardel. F-A-R-D-E-L. It's like a grouping or like of like stories or emotions or, or like bad stuff. That's just a fun word. It is. There's also um, contumely. That one's fun. That's in the middle of the speech too. It sounds like the name of like a lost boy. Contumely. It literally means talking shit. Oh, nice. Yeah. So in the speech, he goes through all the to be or not to be speech. He goes through all the possible sins and bad things that can happen to you for doing obviously bad things. And one of them is the poor man's contumely. And every time I hear it, even though I'm an adult, I crack up because that's not what it should mean. I mean, at least it's a highbrow version. I still crack up anytime I'm at Publix and see a kumquat. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah, man. But Shakespeare, like, that's not actually the thing. Those two words are real words. But Shakespeare loves putting dirty shit in all of his plays. It's just we don't remember or understand what he's talking about. So it takes a little bit of translation. But one of the things that I love about Shakespeare the most is that he wrote for a universal audience. So he wanted the thief to laugh just as hard as the queen. So it was a bunch of dirty jokes. So Queen Elizabeth was just like, I can't laugh at that because I'm so demure. And head of state, but oh, that's so funny, that cum joke you just wrote. <laughs> cum hither? <laughs> it doesn't mean if you're into it, and you spell it wrong. I only spell it wrong. <laughs> I got horrible spelling grades in school, but I giggled the whole time. What's an E? I'll pick another vowel. No, there's totally an O there. I just erased the top of it. <laughs> Took off the hat. Hey everybody, my name is Dan Brown. Welcome to the newest episode of Character Progression. With me today is my friend Whitney. What's up, Whitney? Hello. Alright, so then, we've gotten into some Shakespeare stuff, but yeah, yeah. what character and from what play are we talking about? We are going to be talking about Ophelia from Hamlet. Nice. It'll be my most highbrow episode ever. I'll bring it down as best I can. <laughs> I mean, we already started so strong with cum jokes and... The queen tee-heeing about them. Oh no, I've peaked so soon. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. Oh, you're the best. Alright, so then, to get started, do you remember when you first discovered Ophelia and Red Hamlet? Um, well, I mean, the first time that I really saw it was the Mel Gibson version. Martin Scorsese, I believe, directed it. Mm-hmm. Half paying attention on that part. But it had um, Helena Boehm Carter as Ophelia. It was the first time I'd ever seen a production of Hamlet, even though it's not a traditional production. Translating it to film changes it because it's a different medium. It's like if you really love podcasts, right? A podcast wouldn't translate to a talk show because it's a different form of writing, right. different construction. So there's some stuff that you miss out on. There's like lines cut, scenes cut, things like that. But even though they cut the flower scene, in Hamlet for Ophelia when she goes completely bad shit. But her performance was the most interesting to me. And I've seen a lot of other ones, like Kate Winslet did it in the Kenneth Bernal version. And it just, they had her in a straight jacket, and it's just like, looks like two on the nose, you know. <laughs> but I really like Ophelia because she has the most character progression of all the characters in Hamlet. And there's a lot of characters that kind of stay, maintain the course and, and go in the direction that they're going. And it's really important that they do so, like Queen Gertrude. Queen Gertrude is the antithesis of Ophelia. Because both characters have no agency because of 
the time period or their situation. But she is world-weary, and she's been through some shit. You know, she's the OG, and she's been here. Yeah. Old bitch don't got nothing that'll phase her anymore. Hmm. So. Meanwhile, Ophelia started from the bottom, now she's here. She's here, man, and where she got it good. So, Queen Gertrude was married to Hamlet's father, whose name is Hamlet. Clever. Yeah. Fun for later. So, King Hamlet uh, was killed by his brother Claudius, who becomes king. And in Denmark, you were voted into being king. So in order to get the votes or whatever, he had to show some kind of sign of stability, especially since um, a prince of Norway named Fortinbras was threatening to invade Denmark because of lands conquered in a war that killed Fortinbras's father, whose name is Fortinbras. I'm noticing a theme. There's a lot of parallels. Um, there's a certain amount of where they want you to think about Hamlet and Fortinbras and how their situations are different, right? If Fortinbras's father had killed Daddy Hamlet, for example, then would Hamlet have ultimately become Fortinbras, right? Yep. So that's all speculative. But the way that um, Gertrude enters in all of this is that she marries Claudius, and that's a huge contention for Hamlet when he comes back after his father dies, he finds out that his mother married to his uncle. And that was a huge taboo in Elizabethan times because that was basically like incest. So it was real creepy and gross. Okay. And she, we don't know why she did it. She um, is not going to explain herself. That was the decision that she made. So they could play it off like, like she's in love with the brother and she was a co-conspirator. They can play it off like she had no choice. Because if you kill the king, you kill all the people loyal to them, and she could have easily got, got too. Right. So she's married, and Hamlet has all these speeches about women being fragile and fickle and sucking, and it's like, great, thanks for making it worse for us for millennia. You're cool. Uh, I mean, if it makes you feel better, now the high school students have to be forced to read Shakespeare, and they don't understand it when they're reading it. Revenge. So. Yeah, and we can talk about that later because there's like certain things that you can do to kind of like make it make sense to you right um but gertrude so gertrude she's been through some shit she knows what's going on she's making decisions based on her own survival and she's just trying to do her best is basically what she's doing she has no agency she has no choices she has no voting rights she has no property she has property and she is queen but that doesn't mean anything in denmark because of the way that their court structure is so then we have ophelia Ophelia is torn apart by all the male figures in her life, right? Her brother, Laertes, is leaving for France. And in the scene where he's leaving, he tells Ophelia to not get hung up on Hamlet because Hamlet is a prince, and princes don't decide who they marry. So, he, you know, he's in for a good time, not a long time, but hmm. Ophelia. And so Ophelia... He's trying to say all these, like, really scary things to her, like how, um, <laughs> he says something about how his dick is like a canker worm, and it's trying to invade, like, a delicate flower and ruin it forever, you know, because if she loses her virginity, then she's damaged good, thanks. That's real nice. And she's just like, I'm not going to listen to anything you say, bro, because, uh, you are totally sleeping around, so how can you have that rule for me, but you don't care about any of the women that you're sleeping with? Also, how do you think referring to your dick as a canker worm is ever going to get you laid? Well, he's referring to Hamlet. Okay. Yeah. 
thought he was referring to his own. I'm just like, that's not, no, that move's not going to work. Yeah, that'd be gross. No, no one's ever going to be like, worm, you say. Yeah, worm. Hmm. <laughs> so she calls him out on it. And that's one of my favorite scenes for her because everybody paints Ophelia as being this, like, weak, fragile, innocent little girl, and she doesn't know anything about the world. And there is a certain, like, earnestness and and naivety to her, but she's not stupid. Like, Shakespeare never wrote a stupid woman. They were all smart. He gave them as much presence of mind as he could for the situations that he put them in. And that's really rare. And Shakespeare's the one of the first writers where I really got a sense of how to gauge the way women are treated in material. So she, being torn apart by her brother, because her brother has all these expectations for her own safety. And she knows that like losing your virginity isn't super scary. Or does she? Because there's parts that suggest that she has been intimate with Hamlet. I won't get that that a little bit later but we have to talk about her dad her dad is a pompous windbag one of the things that Gertrude says about Polonius who is her father is that um, he gives these long-winded speeches that mean absolutely nothing he's just trying to sound impressive like he's very learned or whatever but really he's just using a lot of words without any substance and one of her lines is more matter less art Okay. And it's one of my favorite lines. Nice. Usually my favorite lines are Gertrude. We're talking about Ophelia, okay? So, hmm. Ophelia. Um, Polonius is kind of an absentee dad. He only really cares about his children based on, like, what kind of leverage he can get from them and um, making sure that they're doing what he wants. Like, he even sends a spy to France where the Aertes is going to spy on him and make sure he's not sleeping with too many whores. Like, just the right amount of whores for Laertes. Six. Maybe, yeah. Six sounds good. It's a nice round. It's not ten. No. No, ten's way too many whores. Way too many whores. So, <laughs> one of the contentions for Hamlet is that Claudius treats Laertes like a son in the way that he uses pronouns in a speech in front of the court. That's real pedantic and <laughs> hard. But it gets to be Hamlet's turn to kind of greet the king and the queen and stuff like that. But... Claudius is like, you can't go back to school and not be here. You have to stay, and you have to do Prince stuff. He's like, that blows, because I don't want to be here. So Laertes is going to France, being treated like the son of the king, getting all these privileges. He's leaving, and it's what's best for him, and he's kind of not about anything that his dad's about, because his dad's real annoying. Hmm. And Polonius is who we get the line, this above all, to thine own self be true. But that's actually an ironic statement because he's saying to Laertes on the surface that he should always do the right thing. He should always be kind. He should always be accountable. But on the reverse of that, he should always do what's best for him and what he wants to do. So it's true versus truth and true versus arrow hitting its mark. Okay. And for Shakespeare's most pompous characters, he usually gives them like they speak high, but they act low. And they speak in a lot of ironies, so that their contrarian nature kind of lends itself to them being very untrustworthy mm-hmm. and sneaky and manipulative, which are all the same word, but whatever. Nobody 
that listens to this is a thesaurus salesman <laughs> or a thesaurus salesman, whichever one is an actual Man, word. Man, I thought that was a dinosaur that ate books. Oh, it's a dinosaur made. Have you seen that t-shirt? It's yeah. a dinosaur made out of the word. <laughs> thesaurus. Um, so that's like the first time we meet uh, Ophelia is Laertes is like, don't get hung up on that Hamlet. And Polonius is like, wait, what about this Hamlet? Don't date that Hamlet. And she's like, okay. That's the first thing that she did wrong. She agreed, and then she did it. So she gets, like, some distance from Hamlet. She's not, like, hanging out with him anymore. She's not, like, accepting his letters or his love tokens or whatever. And Hamlet has this reputation of being this, like, massive emo character. But he's going through a lot. One... He's in Denmark, and he hates Denmark. Two, his dad died. Three, his dad was murdered. Four, Daddy Ham Hams is a ghost. And he's like, hey, son. I just love that you call him Daddy Ham Hams. I wrote that in my note. I want to be a rapper now just so that that can be my name. Daddy Ham Hams. But, they, like, his name's Hamlet. If you don't, if you have a micropig and you don't name it Hamlet, then you're fucking up. Hamlet. Right? What about Sir Francis Bacon? That's fine. It's not as good as him. That's my opinion. But anyway, so she stops seeing Hamlet because time period again. I hate it when people use time periods used to treat women like shit in place. But literally, it applies here, so it's fine. So she stops seeing Hamlet because her dad told her to. Her dad holds, like, he's got her, like, lock, stock, and barrel. He decides who she marries. He decides her future. He decides what she eats. Like, everything. So she is completely under the guardianship, total helicopter dad situation. So he says stop, she has to stop. Because what is she going to do, get kicked out? That sucks. Right. So, I mean, like in general it sucks, but whatever. So she stops seeing Hamlet. And the next time we see her, she's coming to Polonius. She's like, yo, dad, um, Hamlet was looking real disheveled. And, like, his stockings were fucked up. And his, he's, he just looked like a mess. He looked like... He's seen a ghost, but she doesn't say that. And so he comes in while she's sewing in her room, called the cabinet. And he just grabs her wrist. <laughs> he's holding her wrist. He's just, like, grabbing her arm. And he just, like, licks her face. And he leaves. And it's like, cool. I mean, that's my move also. Yeah, right? That's how I hit on all the ladies. It works. So, but if you... I mean, if your goal is to get restraining orders put out on you, it works. Every yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. But that's like, like in Elizabethan times, they thought that people could legitimately be lovesick. Like, that they would be physically sick and ill if they were truly in love. Hmm. So, this leads Polonius to be like, oh my god, maybe he's like for real in love with you and I was wrong about this. I could use this if somebody may be interested. Because um, Polonius is Iago to Claudius is Jafar. You okay. Know? Like, he's he's trying to get the information wherever he can. He usually tries to trick people into telling him the truth mm-hmm. by, like, creating, like, a rumor or a lie and getting people to deny it or confirm it. Okay. Because um, he sucks. Hmm. And um, so then Polonius reports it to the king and queen. He's like, yo, guys. I think he's, like, in love, and I think that's why he's being weird. Not because you guys are fucking, but because he's in love with my daughter. And she's in the room, and he starts reading a love letter that Hamlet wrote to Ophelia in front of the entire court and mommy and daddy. And she's, who wouldn't be mortified? What is she supposed to do? 
nothing that blows. So they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to use Ophelia's bait. And they're going to trick Hamlet into confessing to her or revealing his true feelings or whatever's going on if he really loves her. And the first time that we ever see Hamlet and Ophelia interact, it's after the breakup. Hamlet's feeling jilted. He still cares about her, but he has no idea why she stopped hanging out with him. And Hamlet is very sensitive about who he can trust and how he can't trust anybody. And he's always being spied on, always, like, everyone's always keeping track of what he's doing. And he has to get to the truth. He has to find out if Claudius killed his dad. And the only way that he can figure out to do that is to use his acting skills, because there's a lot of inferences in the play that suggest that he was going to school and studying theater to be an actor. Because the only time he has any kind of escape in the play is when he's actually, like, performing as an actor. Okay. Um, that happens when a theater troupe comes to town that he knows, and they ask him to recite a monologue from The Fall of Troy, which is a play about a son avenging a father who was killed by a king. And that's the first time where it starts to really click in that, that he's going to do this. He's going to expose Claudius. He's going to kill him. And so after that, he hatches his plan. He figures out that he's going to stage a play for everyone to watch. And it's going to be a play about a king being murdered. And it's called The Murder of Gonzago. And there's no proof of that really being a play, so it's probably completely made up. But he makes all those decisions. Um, he has the to be or not to be speech. And then the final thought isn't completed in that speech because it's interrupted by Ophelia showing up. And so he meets Ophelia. Now, Ophelia is a girlfriend who just broke your heart and comes to your house with a box full of your shit that you left at your house, basically. So not only did she rip his heart out in, like, a really difficult time where she was his only, like, escape and comfort, and then she's like, here's all your stuff back. <laughs> Good luck. I hope you're having a nice day. And the to be or not to be speech is a very emotional speech. It's about him coming to terms with what he needs to do and it, him mustering the resolve to uh, finally do what he needs to do. And then here comes Ophelia, and he's all raw and open. And she's like, here's your stuff. And he's like, I never loved you. as like to get back at her. <laughs> and he also calls her a whore, which isn't good. And then he storms off, and Ophelia's like, the fuck? Oh, actually, before he storms off, he says, do you know where your father is? Because there could be, like, there's no real stage direction in Shakespeare, so you have to go with, like, whatever he says as the cue to what happened on stage. So when he says that, it could be a possibility where he kind of sees Polonius and King Claudius kind of watching them and spying on them. So to test her, like, the final test, this is, like, Ophelia's last chance to show who she's loyal to. Mm-hmm. Even though she's as neutral as you can get with having no personal agency of your own. And she says he's at home, and he knows that she's locked, that he calls her whore. He leaves. The next time we see them together, it's starting to play. And Hamlet is putting on this play because he thinks that it's going to awaken some type of guilt in the people who are responsible for his father's death. By showing them almost like scene by scene exactly what happened, Claudius is going to feel guilty, and his mom's going to cry, and like everyone's going to be real upset. But nobody is because it's a play. Hmm. nothing happens like Gertrude um, Hamlet goes to sit by Gertrude and he's like isn't this upsetting and she's like I think the lady doth protest too much 
because she's wailing over a dead king. Right. And that's perfect. That epitomizes her character for me because she has no... Pain and anger is a luxury when you don't have any choices. Mm-hmm. And she has to make the best of her situation. The best of her situation is to suck it up and put up with it. Because being dead is not an option. Right. So, and that's one of the things that Hamlet weighs in the to be or not to be speech. But the lack of compassion that he has for his mother and he has for Ophelia is super problematic. And the thing that he does to Ophelia specifically in this scene sucks. Because what he does is he goes over to her and he just makes a lot of sex and sexy, dirty jokes at her expense just to make her uncomfortable. Like, she has nothing to gain out of, like, treating her this way. Right. He's just being a massive dick. And... He's being a canker worm. <laughs> he's being a canker worm. And, um... He tells her he never loved her again. And he also says that if she ever marries, she's going to make her husband miserable. And she's probably going to cheat on him anyway. Hamlet sucks. Hamlet's not a good person. He's handling this in a very healthy way. Super healthy. Uh, but one of, the, one of the mechanics of his character is that he pretends to be crazy so he can say exactly what he means to people to their face. Okay. Like he calls Polonius a fishmonger. And Polonius is like, oh, wow, he must be really confused and crazy because he thinks I'm a fishmonger. And he's like, no, he insults an idiot. So him being horrible to Ophelia doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's just he is upset and jilted. He's going to take it out on her as much as possible. And so she leaves because she's really upset. And then some other fuck shit happens. And Hamlet meets with his mother in her room. And Polonius is behind a curtain or a tapestry or whatever, and he's listening in. Hamlet is super angry at his mom, um, uses his new uh, reputation for craziness to just kill Polonius. And then King Claudius is like, well, you're really upset. Let's just send you to England. Why don't you get on a boat with your friends Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? Rosencrantz and Guildenstern came with the play, the theater troupe. Okay. And they said, they are dumb, and they are very, like, superficial friends, like fake friends. And they were just brought there to spy on Hamlet and to party. That's all they're there for. They don't give a fuck about anything. So he's being sent to England with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. He finds a letter in their belongings from King Claudius that said, please kill Hamlet, thanks. And so Hamlet writes a different letter. And it just says, please kill Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And then he escapes and returns to Denmark with pirates. Because play. And because as one does. As really. one does. But all all during Hamlet going abroad and coming back and making decisions for himself, partially due to the fact that he saw Thornton Brass enter into Denmark. And he's like, Oh, I should probably go back. Ophelia during this time loses it. She's lost her father, her brothers away. She lost the love of her life because she was doing nothing wrong and doing what everybody told her to do, including the king and queen. Mm-hmm. And so she has nothing. She's absolutely nothing, and she completely loses it. And um, she's walking around the castle singing dirty songs <laughs> about... Cardi B, Nicki Minaj. Totally, man. Yeah. yeah. My anaconda don't want them. Right? Um, I want to sing that in a castle now. Right? And it'll echo and shit. 
Um, but the song is about a woman who's been tricked into losing her virginity on the promise of marriage. So yeah, Anaconda. Anaconda. And um, she starts passing out flowers to all the people that are there. And I wrote them down. <laughs> First, she passes Rosemary to her brother. And Rosemary, and Shakespeare liked, liked to write in the meaning of flowers to represent emotions and circumstances that would take longer to explain. And everybody basically knew the meaning of flowers, I guess. So she passes... Pop culture at the time. Pop culture. Flowers. You hate your boyfriend, send flowers that say fuck you. Orange. Orange. It's the name. It's not. I don't know about black flowers. But anyway, so she takes rosemary, and it represents remembrance and faithfulness, and she passes it to her brother. And she's saying, please remember, uh, please don't forget that our father was killed, and like, fuck shit's going on. And fuck shit's like my favorite term. And then she passes pansies around to symbolize thoughtfulness and faithfulness again. Then she passes fennel to the king, because she knows... He likes false flattery. She like drops in her his hand like a mic, like I know you like this bitch. And then she gives him Columbine, and it symbolizes male adultery, <laughs> infertility, faithful faithlessness, and and dis and and it's, she's basically saying that he's like a deceptive lover. So she's like, here you go. These are for you. Right. I just like that that means so many things. So many things. Complicated flower than Columbine. And then she gives Rue to the queen. And Rue is also a symbol for adultery. But it was also the most potent... It was the major cause of abortion in the day. Like, if you were pregnant because you had an adulterous relationship, you ate Rue and then forced an abortion. Oh, damn. Yeah. Right, and then she passed out daisies because daisies. No, she didn't. She she ran. She came across a daisy, and she plucked it, and then she immediately put it back because there are no innocents here. Was the line? And then violet. Violets come up earlier, do they? I don't know. We can say they do. I don't think anyone's going to know one way or the other. They don't. So she talks about violets. Violets represented faithfulness and fidelity, and one of her lines while she's crazy is that I would give you some violets, but they withered all when my father died. Right? And that is some gangster fucking flower play. Yeah, that's a good line. Yeah, man. And so she's crazy. So she does this confrontational, like, really brave thing, and then she bounces. Right? And, like, she bounces, but she's also, like, randomly crying or, like, pitching a fit and, like, whatever she's doing. And she leaves. And then he's like, makes Laertes go after her, makes like the nurses go after her, like keep an eye on her. Something bad's happened. And it's kind of the, like all the characters in any Shakespearean play want the audience to have their back. They want to get the audience on their side. So we've already seen a situation where Claudius was like, oh, I kind of regret this. This isn't a good thing that's happening. It's my fault. But when Ophelia really goes nuts, that he's like, what happened to this girl? <laughs> this is the worst thing that I've ever seen. And that's the last time that we see Ophelia because off stage, she drowns. And she drowns because she slips into a brook because her clothes are heavy. 
and she, but she does nothing to save herself, nothing to ask for help, and she just allows herself to drown. And because she allowed herself to drown, it's ruled a suicide. And because you can't be buried if you've committed suicide because it's a sin and it's a taboo, she doesn't get a funeral. Damn. Yeah. So Laertes is pissed, obviously. And Hamlet's actually genuinely sad, and that's when we get the Yorick speech because he's ruminating on death and what it means and whether the decisions that he made were morally just or whether his friend Yorick would have approved of his behavior and all this stuff. And that's kind of like the last thing that Ophelia really impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I like her is because she has so much potential. She's, she's quick-witted, she's smart, she's knowledgeable about a lot of things, and she could, if she had been allowed even a second to make her own decisions, there's so many things that would not have happened. You know, it's almost like Jack Skellington and Sally. You know, like Sally didn't want any of the bad stuff to happen, but Sally had the agency to say something about it. Right. You know, and she, Sally was the type of personality that escaped her oppressor and would go do whatever she wanted. Sneak back in, hide poison in frog's breath, you know? Yeah, deadly nightshade. Deadly nightshade. But Ophelia is the only character in the entire play that did the right thing, like did her best, and she did nothing wrong. And another thing is that when she's passing out Rue, and there's been all these jokes about her, all these sexual jokes at her expense, there's a possibility that she had intimate relations with Hamlet, and that he dropped her exactly the way that her older brother said he would. And she could be pregnant when she goes crazy. Hmm. There's a thing with Shakespeare that Shakespeare wrote what he intended. And that all words mean things, and they're deliberate. So there's a lot of instances where people have asserted interpretations that weren't true or that didn't make sense in context. But the context clues for me always point to the fact that her life was ruined, she had no protection, and she had been abandoned by just about everyone. And then she goes crazy. Right. Right. And all the other characters kind of get what they deserve for the most part. Um, Gertrude um, drinks a cup of wine that's laced with poison that was intended for Hamlet. But that's almost like her just deserts her, you know, she's getting her medicine or whatever. Yeah. um, Because she made a lot of bad choices. Even though she didn't have a choice, really, she was still a willing participant in the things that that happened poorly. Right. Um, But Ophelia didn't. She didn't deserve any of that shit. And I feel like she's the quintessential character for what it's like to be a girl okay. in any context. Yeah. So you grow up, you have whatever male authority figure is the person that decides what's best for you. And they shape your worldview and how you see yourself and how you see other women and how you interact with men and all these things. I'm not saying that all women are going to like wind up like killing themselves or whatever, because that's nuts. But... It's being pulled apart by society's standards and expectations for you and not knowing how to how to figure out who you are or what you are or what you want to be. 
until you get some type of agency. You get some type of personal agency that says, no, I'm not going to do these things. No, I'm going to unlearn all this bad stuff that people have taught me to think about myself. Mm-hmm. And the tragedy is that Ophelia never got that. Conversely, Gertrude did, but she had very little rights of her own either. So that's when you get like a, a really true dichotomy about what it's like to be a woman. You can be a woman and you can suck it up and you can put up with shit and you can get through it and you can do the things that you need to do every day, which is why women fought for feminism so hard because women shouldn't have to do that. Women shouldn't have to be a servant to their family right. and things like that. Um, they shouldn't have to think about a higher purpose and sacrifice their entire life to that higher purpose. And they shouldn't be accused of being at fault for the harm that others do by association. And the way that Hamlet treats Ophelia is unacceptable. The way that he treats his mother is understandable to a point. But Hamlet's not trying to be a hero. He's he's a, he's an anti-hero by definition. Mm-hmm. And he's very upset. You know, his dad died. He's in a place that he hates. He's being trapped there because his uncle wants to spy on him because his uncle suspects that Hamlet's going to do something. All right. And Polonius is just an agitator. His only real friend in the entire play is Horatio. And Horatio is the only person in the play that makes any fucking sense. Hmm. Like, he's always trying to get everybody to get off the ledge. Like, hey, why don't we just kind of not go nuts? Like... I've got your back, dude. Like, we're actually legitimate friends. So, like, he's, ba- so he's basically saying to Hamlet that he wishes he would step back from that ledge, his friend. Hey, you. <laughs> yeah. So that he can cut ties with all the lies that he's, he's been living in. in. But if Hamlet doesn't want it to see him again, he, he would understand. understand. Yeah, he would. He would. Um, they get to the end of the play, and... Um, we can get into it later. Basically, everybody dies. Everyone knows that. And Horatio's like, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, everyone's dead. And Hamlet's like, no, you have to tell my story. And then Fortinbras comes in. Fortinbras is like, what the fuck, thanks? <laughs> but what the fuck? And then Horatio's like, well, sit down, my friend. And tell the entire story. And then Fortinbras, who wanted to conquer Denmark, did. So he's the only one with a happy ending. Isn't that great? At least somebody did? Yeah, but it seems Fort Brass, so I guess he loses in the end. Yeah, true. Hey, he sounds very stuffy with that name. Fort Brass. I'm pretty sure that's not Norwegian. <laughs> so basically, like to sum up, Hamlet. Hamlet is Lion King. That's not fun. And that's about it. That works. Yeah. Although, I kept waiting for you to get to the scene where the lion walked across the log with the meerkat and the warthog and they sang a song. Yeah, they took a break and they ate bugs. Okay. Nice little snack. That's my roommate giggling. I like the background laughter. She broke the podcast. I tried this. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of Olivia? Ophelia. Why did I say Olivia? I'm drunk. Welcome to the podcast. My name's Whitney. I'm drinking a beer. It has fucking Shakespeare on it. You don't know me. I mean, some people listening know you. None of them. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. You want some fucking agency? <laughs> or you want some of these canker worms? 
I mean, when you put it that way, I think everyone's choosing agency. <laughs> Get deflowered, literally. She deflowers herself, bro. It's true. She picked up that flower and went, no. No, there's no innocence here. She, so gangster. You know that, that song, Thug Life? That. Should just be playing when they do that thing. I can't think so of that without thinking of just the the Tupac stomach tattoo, and now I'm picturing her with just Thug Life tattooed across her stomach. Anytime I think about it, it's it's the it's the meme of um, Data from Next Generation when the Klingon challenges him to an arm wrestling match. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Do it, bro. Do it. You can't throw down like me. I'm a fucking Klingon." And Data's like, "Sir, I'm." A- I am made of cars and strong shit, and you don't understand. <laughs> and then he wrestles him, and then Jada just immediately smacks his hand down and goes back to what he was doing. Hmm. Kingster. I also love that you pantomime texting when you did that. Like, they were, like, I, that was just a common thing people did in, what was it, 1990? whatever that next gen Star Trek invented touchscreens. They invented tablets. Come on, bro. They invented resistance being futile. They did. Data got some skin. And and had sex with a slimy woman. Oh, she had sex with Tasha first. And a slimy woman. And a slimy woman. But she had like a snaky spine, so that's kind of fun. I don't know what he's into. Apparently snaky spines. Snaky spines. Did Tasha have a snaky spine? Shimano. We do we know that she didn't? For a fact, do we know that she didn't have a snake? She was from that planet with for, that was like runaway themed. But do we know that she didn't have a snaky spine? I'm just saying she had that short short haircut. She got ate by the blob. So either way, slime being involved is Data's thing. Yeah, man, slip and slide. <laughs> hey, man, you use too much lube. It doesn't work. Thank you, roommate. <laughs> My roommate said that's true, so it's confirmed. Two females agree. We're learning so much about Therese tonight. We don't need four out of five dentists. Just two vaginas. We got that. Well, fifth dentist was just asleep. <laughs> yeah, man. He was chewing dentine ice, I guess. I don't know. Remember how that commercial would make people freeze? What? When you ate dentine ice? And people were like, oh, oh yeah, man. you'd be... Yeah, see? That frosty bitch over there gets it. <laughs> well, have we talked about Ophelia in the past, like, five minutes? We haven't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> You've listened before. Tangents are just what I do for this thing. <laughs> yeah, man. But um, in the um, Mel Gibson version, uh, when she goes nuts, she's, she's going up into, like... I don't know, the Sentinel area. And Helena Baum Carter <laughs> starts all but jerking off one of the Sentinels. <laughs> she, like, flips off his helmet. She starts massaging his scalp and, like, touching his chin. And he's like, I will get dead if you do this. You are a different class from me. <laughs> she grabs the belt, like, the, the extra belt with the long part in front. You're right. And she pulls on it. And you can just see her, like, arm moving like she's jacking it off. And Scorsese was like, not in my movie, young lady. So it pans up. <laughs> you, you can just see her making, like, full eye contact. And was like, get it, Helena. Do that shit. So good. 
Right, just li later on, you're gonna bang Voldemort. It's just, just you're better off this way. Do you boo, Bellatrix girl? I know that, but I'm not sure if she actually banged Voldemort. Yeah, didn't you read fucking that horrible play they did? What's it called? Cursed Child. That one. It's in your room, I know, because I own it, and it's been there for two years. Also a fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, they fucking have a girl, and she's a bitch. She gets a time turn and does some fuck shit. You wanted to know this podcast, listener. And you're up to date on things that aren't important. Good for you. I mean, there are... I think it's a safe bet that most of my fan base is very up to date on things related to Harry Potter. That's good. Let me ruin it. That player's terrible. They're they're waiting for the the Hagrid ride to open unless. Didn't it? No. No. Uh, Universal employees got to ride it already at um. the time of this recording. <laughs> Look at you being responsible. By the time it comes out, I, I assume everyone will have ridden it with like eight hour lines or something like Gringotts had. <laughs> Big old nope. But all right, so in what ways has, since you got into a little bit about why Ophelia has inspired you, in what ways has liking her, especially kind of given where her story is about this lack of agency, or I guess fight for that agency, how has liking her influenced your life? Um, well, she gets me, like, right in the feels, you know? Like, every iteration I've ever seen her in, she's the person on stage that I watch the most. And I relate a lot to her um, because I overthink things. And I feel like I'm easily influenced by other people and their expectations and wanting to be likable and trying to, like, earn a place in someone else's life has always been, like, a constant for me where I'm not sure that... I'm successful at it, or, like, I'll have, like, a bipolar moment where, like, I just think everybody hates me, or, like, the world's falling apart. So, for her to go crazy with all the shit that she went to, and for me to be, like, regular as crazy, it's kind of, like, <laughs> it's kind of like balance, I guess, which is weird. But, um, I think there's a lot of, like, I think there's a lot of personal lessons when it comes to liking Ophelia and, and relating to her and feeling sympathy for her is that I don't want to be her. Okay. I don't want to be in a situation where I have to compromise myself and, and what's best for me, or even my, my self-interest, for someone else's gain. You know, like if I love somebody, I want to be able to tell it even if they don't love me back. Right. You know, I don't want to be afraid of disappointing people. You know, I don't want to hide who I am or what I think or what I feel, and I don't want to defer my personal agency to someone else. That was a really good answer. <laughs> Thanks. I did it, guys. You did. All right, so then from there, I'm going to move on to a section called Big G, Little G. Okay. For anyone who's not aware, the Big G is how will those lessons you learned from Ophelia potentially be good for the world? And then the Little G is how have they been good for you specifically? Um, good for the world. I think people need to take a long, hard look at Ophelia's situation. It doesn't take it being hundreds of years ago to change the fact that it's happening now. And people should really understand that women are not defined by their gender, by their sex. Gender's a lie anyways, fuck that shit. 
but you can't define people by their expectations based on like their packaging or their status. You know, like one of the reasons why Hamlet is never going to marry Ophelia is that they are a different social standing. Mm-hmm. So going in, Ophelia should know that nothing is going to happen out of this and that she's going to end up in a terrible situation. Because, one, Hamlet's not obligated to genuinely care about Ophelia or think of her best interest. He doesn't have to. Not just because he's a prince, but because he's a man. He doesn't have to. He can leave at any time. That's what makes everything scarier. You know, and like a heterosexual relationship, or any relationship involving a, a man in a dominant position in the relationship. But... All the risk is on the woman, right? Even like hookups, like unsafe sex, everything. Like everything, you will literally destroy her life if she's pregnant and she doesn't want to be. And we can get into like abortion laws and things like that and it being the death of a potential person or healthcare for a woman. But ultimately, no one has the right to make the decision to have a child and no one has the right to treat parenthood as a punishment for sex, right? My inference of her being pregnant at the end is very speculative. There are people, scholars, who argue about it all the time. But for me, as a fan, as someone who sits in that audience, that's where my feelings are drawn, and that's what I see. Yeah. So I think, impact-wise, respect women, um, respect their autonomy, consent is important, and... No woman should have to compromise their future and their happiness for someone else's selfishness. And Hamlet is well-intended, but very selfish. Right. In some ways. Um, And Little G, I'd say that Ophelia taught me the lesson that I need to stand up for myself. She doesn't stand up for herself until she goes crazy. That's because she has nothing left to lose. And if I can do that without being crazy, then I'm doing pretty good in life. Although you can still give people fuck you flowers. Fuck you flowers. Hi, I just spent $20 on this bouquet, but all of these flowers say I hate your guts. Except this daisy. What's that doing there? That's for me. Fuck you. <laughs> Innocence is mine. Hmm. Yeah, man. Feeling is cool. So then going from that, if you had the opportunity to talk to Ophelia, what would you say to her? You dead, Sanka? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'd say uh, don't get help. There's loads of hotlines, girl. But really, if someone had genuinely cared about her in the situation, they would have done something. Like You don't just watch somebody have a breakdown. You help them. And if I had been in a situation where I could have helped Ophelia, you know, fiction, I want to be the type of person that would help not watch a bad thing happen. Like, she wasn't listening to me, or there was nothing that I can do. I'd rather try than do nothing. Yeah. I'll get you some rue, girl. That's fine. They get her a flower. That means I got you. I got you, boo. That's sunflowers. Sunflower? Sure. Dude, I should have, like, learned some shit. I could have been, like, all over this, have some fucking anal vice, bitch. But not here every morning to greet you. Hates you. It's fucking good. I can just make it up. Somebody can let me know if we're wrong. So, like, sunflowers mean I got you. Orchids mean your bathroom is haunted. Uh, I 
chrysanthemums mean? Chrysanthemums are a silly word to say. Tandelions mean blow me. Yes. <laughs> Giving it upside down means like blow me in a like, hey, hey, asshole, blow me. <laughs> right side up means, hey, blow me. If there's no petals left, it's a good job. Yes. <laughs> upside down and no petals mean like, thanks for being an asshole. Thanks for Douche. nothing. Lilacs mean, why are you lying? And uh, tulips mean you have to sing Old Town Road in public now. Barf. Lil Nas X has gotten so many tulips. <laughs> apple blossoms mean you have to wear apple bottoms and boots with the fur. But then the whole club will be looking at her. <laughs> and she hit the floor. What would happen next thing you know? Shelby got low. Low? Low. 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 God damn it. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't know the names of any more flowers. Oh, God. Um, the poinsettia. <laughs> Primrose. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's what the ruse for. No baby's breath here. So baby's breath mean the root didn't work? Oh, fuck. Bad news. Look, gender reveals just there's baby breath at all. I know. And I hand you baby's breath. It means like, hey, uh, the truck carrying the rue broke down. <laughs> but then there's worms wood. Canker worms wood? Canker worms wood. It probably gave him a worm with a canker. Potent. Brew it in a tea. Gross. Um, but alright. <laughs> to do a massive tonal shift right now. <laughs> so with all the lessons you've learned from Ophelia, not Olivia. Oh yeah, I fucked that up hard. It's cool, I just had to go back to it. But yeah, with all the lessons you've learned from Ophelia. She is. <laughs> I wasn't wrong, you're it, wrong. It came back around. <laughs> God, the tone is so weird this episode. I love it. Uh, but all right, using the lessons that you've learned from Ophelia, if you were to run into someone who's going through a hard time in their own life right now, what type of advice would you give them? That they have so much more worth than how they're defined by other people. And that I want them to look hard at what's going on, and I want them to figure out what they really wanted outside of the expectations of everybody else. So everybody goes through that, you know, like... Like, LGBTQ, hey, what's up, June, Pride Month? Like, there's so many stories that we hear all the time about how trans and LGBT youth in general are kicked out of their homes because they're not accepted for who they are. And it's, I would say that it's more important, hey, <laughs> making a pat, um, it's more important that they be who they are than to be fined by an arbitrary emotion like love from people who can pantomime it. Like, anybody can tell you that they love you. Anybody can mean it. It doesn't have to be people that you're blood related to. And I think that Ophelia was lacking in any kind of genuine guidance or genuine love. She was just a tool. She was used up. And there's community for you, regardless of what you're going through. 
there's always someone out there who knows exactly how you feel and they understand what you're going through and they're just waiting for the opportunity to help you and to share in your progress out of a negative situation. That was very, very well put. All right, so then before we go, this is where I give people the opportunity to plug something. Okay. If there's anything you're working on that you want people to know about, I want to hear about that and something you're enjoying right now that you think more people should know about. Okay. Plug-wise, I'd have to say, well, um, Shakespeare. Um, a lot of people say reading play or reading Hamlet. But Shakespearean plays are meant to be emoted. They don't make the same amount of sense if you read it dry on a piece of paper. In the same likeness, slam poetry is spoken word, and page poetry is a completely different thing. They're both poetry, but they're very different. And if you want to see that in action, I recommend Smoking Word in Orlando. They meet on Thursdays at Milk Bar. They're really friendly, wonderful people. They come from all walks of life, and you can go in and learn something new or celebrate something you already know through someone else's poem. So that's really dope. In that vein, there is an organization called Exodus United that I volunteer with. They provide poetry writing workshops for at-risk youth in Central Florida. Um, it's run by a nationally ranking poet named Simba Castaño. Um, she's really amazing. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. So just check them out. Donate if you can, because every little bit helps to provide supplies or, or take the kids somewhere to perform. Um, that's really, really great. And for what I'm into right now, um, Handmaid's Tale. It's a pretty good tie-in. If you want to know all the scary things that are happening to women and you want it in an easily digestible entertainment format, Handmaid's Tale, where it's at. Well, they're not easily digestible because some of those are so hard to watch. Yeah. And by some of them, I mean every episode. Yeah, it's hard to live, dude. Yeah, and um, if you have the opportunity and you do care about abortion rights for women as healthcare, um, I highly recommend you check out the Yellow Fund. It is the Yellow Hammer Fund. It is an organization that helps provide women in Alabama with safe abortions. They still have legal right to abortions for the next six months. So... Um, if you do have a couple bucks that you can lend to their effort, that's really important. There are probably similar funds in other states that are experiencing uh, bans, and I suggest you check those out too. And just to iterate, six weeks is not enough for a heart to grow. So the beat that they're getting is cardiac. <laughs> Cardi How do you say that word? Cardiac? Yeah, cardi <laughs> cardiac tissue. It's not an actually formed heart. So... Um, to say that it's a heartbeat law is misleading and untrue and just another way of subjugating women into propagating a society that we no longer care about. Hard facts. It's the random song breaks. <laughs> but yes, that is all very important. One more time in case anyone wants to look it up. What was the name of that organization? The Yellow Hammer Fund. You can find them on Twitter under Yellow fund at yellow fund all right well it's about it we're running out of time so thanks again for doing this whitney yeah thank you for having me all right thanks for listening everybody bye